Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Over the course of the next few weeks, we hope that you will join us after the service for small group discussions about the message. Also, please pray as we are considering making this a regular part of our services. Do you believe that God is good? And if so, why? This is the first part in a four-part series called Why Are You a Christian? where we're going to examine a common argument people make that calls God's goodness into question. This message is entitled, God's Morality. Are you able to explain why you believe what you believe? Today we're going to begin a series on apologetics. And if you're not sure what apologetics is, it's, it's the science of giving an apology. And I realize that sounds a little bizarre. Um, while I think it's awesome that everyone should be able to level their pride and apologize when necessary, that's not exactly what apologetics is all about. Apologetics is taken from the Greek word apologia, which means to give a reply. It's where we get the word apology from. But apologetics is actually the science of giving a reply. So today, in the, for the next three weeks, we're going to be giving a reply to common arguments that non-believers make and it's not for their benefit, it's for ours. Before we do that, I want to bring out 1 Peter 3.15. We're going to be talking about this verse almost every week. It says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Now, I think that's significant because most of the time we're not really prepared. People will come and ask us, why do you believe in Jesus? And we say, well, because the Bible says so, or because my parents raised me this way, or whatever. Most of the time, most people don't have a solid defense. But the last part of this passage is what we really especially need to pay attention to. It says, but do this with gentleness and respect. It is so important to explain your faith to somebody with gentleness and respect. Now, I think we tend to move away from gentleness and respect when we've run out of answers. We, we move to ridicule and contempt whenever we don't feel like we have a solid defense. So it is important for us to have a defense. You might see something like that, for example, on uh, Facebook now, uh, social media. Any, any kind of political debate, this can happen a lot. If a politician feels like they're losing, they'll move away from fact-based information and they will begin to attack the opponent's character, um, You know the values that they have, maybe choices that they have made. And I think Peter knew an important truth about us. He knew that we tend to get nasty when we feel threatened. So there's no reason to feel threatened. We can have a solid defense for our faith. We don't have to get nasty. We need to be prepared. And so during this series, what we're going to try to do is to steer away from ridicule and, and contempt and instead lean towards having gentle answers to hard questions by building a solid defense. So today... Um, the, the topic for discussion for today is a response to an argument that's commonly made about God, and it is God is either all-powerful or he is all-loving. He cannot be both. In other words, God isn't really good, because if he was good, he wouldn't intolerate injustice, and we see injustice everywhere. So basically, the argument sounds like this. God doesn't even follow his own laws of morality, his own laws of what's right and wrong that he sets for us. God doesn't follow them. Why should we? For example, God tells us, thou shalt not kill. But on several occasions, isn't that exactly what God does? Didn't God commit genocide when he destroyed the world with a flood? What about in Exodus when God kills all the firstborn children in Egypt who don't have the lamb's blood painted over the mantle of the doorway? 
What about when he ordered the death of every Amalekite man, woman, and child in 1 Samuel 15? What about whenever he gives similar instructions to Joshua with the people whose only crime was living in the promised land? See Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 18. God says, you shall not steal, but God takes things from us all the time, right? Just go read Job. Where, where was God's goodness with Job? He took away Job's livelihood, his servants, his health, his children. Why? What did, what would, what did Job do? What was his crime? The Bible tells us that his crime was being a righteous man. Where's the justice in that? So God wants us to be just, and, and he wants us to be holy, but it doesn't seem like God wants to follow his own rules. So this argument says that God can't even follow his own rules, and so we shouldn't use his Bible. We shouldn't use his word to determine what's right and wrong. We should make up our own sense of what's right and wrong without it. Well, before I begin dismantling this argument, I want to tell you why non-believers love this argument so much. This is just a classic case of if you don't like the message, then do your best to discredit the source. If you don't agree with what God says on the subject of the sin that you love, then find ways to dismiss God. And, and you know, don't accept him as an authority figure. Just find ways to, to get around it to justify your behavior. People will always look for ways to justify their wicked behavior. People will always look, we will look, I will always look for ways to justify my sin. I've even said this, if I'm not supposed to smoke it, then why does God let it grow? Justification. I'm not touching, I'm just looking. Justification. I only did it once, what's the big deal? People do it all the time. Justification. Unbelievers reject God's word because they don't like what it says, and then they look for all the reasons why. They don't, want, they, don't, they don't like what he says, and so they look for all the reasons to justify why they can reject his word. So it's extremely important to know where these arguments come from. They don't come from logic or being extremely intelligent, too smart for God. It always stems from emotion. We don't want to give up the things that God tells us to give up. Or we don't want to do the things that God tells us to do. After all, once you don't like someone or something, it's easy to find reasons why. So I just want to quickly make two points, and then uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to move into small groups. And online, we've, I'm uploading some, some small group material, so you can do this at home. You can do this with your family if you like. You can do this with yourself. What I want to do is I'll make two quick points, and then we'll move on. Basically, my first point is, is that without God, our basis for morality would not exist. And number two, God is the ultimate judge of what is good. So let's look at the first one. Without God, our basis for morality would not exist. Our basis of what's right and what's wrong would not be here. God is the one who has established what's good. I mean, he is the one who, who originally said this is good. Genesis 1.10 says, God, God called dry, land, dry ground land and gathered the waters of the seas. Or, and he called them seas. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. God is the one who established what is good. Believers and non-believers alike base their sense of morality, their sense of right and wrong, off of God's law. This means that you can't ignore the Ten Commandments and rely on culture and society because culture and society has been heavily influenced and shaped by the Ten Commandments, by God's law. 
Without God's law and someone to enforce it, everyone would be free to use their own sense of what's right and wrong. And what happens then? Well, we can look in the book of Judges and see what happens. The last verse in the book of Judges is the culmination of the whole experience in the book of Judges. Judges 21-25 says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. So in the book of Judges, they had the law, but no one to enforce the law. So they constantly fell into lifestyles of sin, which led to being enslaved by other nations. They did things that they regretted. Their lives were miserable without God's law. Now I can tell you from experience what happens when you start doing drugs. You fall into an addiction, and that addiction enslaves your life. I didn't ever think that I was going to be able to quit doing drugs. It controlled my finances. It controlled my time. It controlled my relationships. It controlled whether or not I went to church, if I wasn't feeling so guilty or not about it. But I didn't want to give it up. Why? Because I was enslaved by it. I looked up ways. You know, if I'm not supposed to smoke it, then why does God let it grow here? Well, that's what happens when you establish your own sense of right and wrong and you try to justify your evil behavior. Think back to the anti-Semitism movement during World War II. This was the time in American history when questions about God's goodness really began to surface on a grand scale. And it's not hard to understand why. War has always been prevalent. War has always happened in human history. The things that happened during World War II, the genocide that happened, it's not something new. It's happened for since the beginning, since the fall of man, it's been happening. So why did these questions arise then? Well, before I try to answer that, I just want to—I want you to know that Hitler wasn't the worst mass murderer in history. Not even close. He was responsible for killing 17 million Jews during the Holocaust. 17 million Jews. That's crazy. But Mei Zedong, founder of the People's Republic of China, he was responsible for killing an estimated 78 million people. So why do we remember Hitler and not Zedong? Why, why, why Hitler? Well, it's interesting, you know, if you know history and, and you know what happened during, um, during World War II, uh, basically Hitler's speech at the 1936 Olympic Games was the first televised broadcast that was sent out to outer space satellites. And so for the first time in history, people weren't hearing about war around the campfire. They weren't hearing about what happened over the radio. They were able to see it for themselves. It was being televised. Stories of war moved from from the campfire to the living room and people began asking the question after they were seeing these things, how could a good God allow something like this to happen? One might argue, well didn't Hitler claim to be a Christian? To which I would ask if that was true, did Hitler act anything like Jesus? Hitler was a politician. He knew what to say and how to get people to follow him. We see that in our politics today. If anything, Hitler was an atheist. He was undeniably influenced by Darwin's theory of evolution. He certainly practiced survival of the fittest. Why else was he trying to create a superior race and stomp out what he called the Jewish poison? What happens when you ignore God's laws and you believe that you're free to create your own sense of right and wrong? What happens? Well, look back to the Nazi regime. Because when the Nazis came, they certainly believed that they were justified in their actions. They believed in evolution. They believed that the lives of other human beings weren't as valuable as theirs. They believed that the world was overpopulated, which is something that Darwin taught. They exterminated 17 million people. 17 million. Because they justified their sinful behavior because they didn't like what the Bible said. 
Now that's pretty horrible, right? 17 million people. But let me ask you, do you know what the current death count of abortion is in America today? The current death count is 53 million children. That's over three times as many people as the Holocaust. Excuse me, they're not people, right? Yeah, we've justified that. 53 million helpless unborn children. You know, in China, the death count for abortion is 400 million. That's 23 and a half times the death count of the Holocaust. The world is overpopulated. Let me tell you something. If the world is overpopulated where you are, move. Drive through Texas and tell me that the world is overpopulated. This is, It's crazy. It's a crazy notion. I wonder why we single out the Holocaust the way that we do, but we somehow ignore the abortion rates. Could it be that we tend to look for whatever way we can to justify our sinful behavior? If atheists think the world would be better without God in it, we have documented evidence that it wouldn't be. Because without God, without His law, we're free to determine what's good and what's not good for ourselves, and we fail miserably at it. So without God, our basis for morality would not exist. But also, like I said, my second point is God is the ultimate judge of what is good. Now, people sometimes ask, if God's rules are so important, then why doesn't he abide by them? Well, why does he tell us to kill, and, or tell us not to kill, and then he goes and kills himself? Well, first off, God never commands us not to kill. He commands us not to murder, and there is a difference. But even if there wasn't, God is sovereign. Which means God gets to do whatever God wants because he is God. It's hard for us to understand this because we're not under a monarchy, but if the king says something, you do it. And you don't question the king. This is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Go back to the point about Noah's Ark for just for, for just a minute. You know that example we use where you know God tells us not to kill, but he killed the entire human race except for one family. Well, God judged the world and determined that those living in it were evil. And so he destroyed the world with a flood. Yeah, he did that, saving Noah and his family. But if God arbitrarily destroyed the world, you know, he didn't give any warning, that would be pretty shady. However, the flood wasn't a surprise to anyone who listened and submitted to God. Genesis tells us that when Enoch was 65 years old, he was given a prophecy that God's judgment would destroy the world and it would be withheld as long as his son was alive. And so Enoch named his son in regard to that prophecy. He named his son Methuselah, which means his death shall bring judgment. So people could know that whenever Methuselah died, it's, it's coming. Judgment is coming. Let me ask you a question. Who was the oldest man in the Bible? Who's the oldest man who ever lived? Methuselah. He lived 969 years. So for 969 years, God warned the world of his coming judgment. He allowed Methuselah to live so long so that he could give people a chance. But Genesis 6, 6 5 through 8 says, The Lord saw how great man's, great man's wickedness was on the earth and how evil they had become, and how every inclination of the thought of his heart was evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. And so the Lord said, I will wipe mankind out whom I have created. For I will wipe them out from the face of the earth. Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air. For I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so these people, what we see there is that they had their own basis of morality. 
they were constantly, consistently warned. By, the, by Methuselah's name, they were constantly warned. But they refused to turn to the Lord, and so he destroyed them. We see the same example in the death of the firstborn children in Exodus. We'd like to throw that out. They were warned to, to, to cover the doorposts of their homes by the blood of the Lamb, but they did not heed God's warning. They ignored God's warning, and so he killed all the firstborn children whose door frames weren't covered. They, 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 those who had the mantles covered, the Jews, God passed them over, hence the Passover. This is extremely significant with what we see today. Unless our hearts are covered by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus, we will be destroyed. But unfortunately, many choose not to listen to these warnings, just like the flood, just like the Egyptians. Well, what about the Amalekites? Man, woman, and child, right? Well, if you know your Bible, then you know that not all of the Amalekites were destroyed. That in fact, the queen of the Amalekites escaped. And her descendants later came back at the Israelites with a vengeance in the book of Esther and nearly annihilated the entire Jewish race. So God killed them for the future? Well, if the future wasn't enough, then what about the past? 1 Samuel 5.2 says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up out of Egypt. The Amalekites were not innocent. They were guilty. And so God decided to destroy them because he is sovereign, because God gets to do what God wants. Well, what about Job? What did Job do wrong? Well, have you ever read Job? That's exactly what Job questions God about. Go, go, read, go, go read God's response to Job sometime. It's found in Job 38 through, through 41. But just for the sake of time, let me sum it up for you. God tells him, because I'm God, I get to do what I want. You're not God. You don't get to do what you want. Romans 9, 20 through 21 says, But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what his form say to him who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? God is God. Not you, not me. And because he is God, he gets to do what he wants. God determines what is good because he is the ultimate judge. Yeah, but is God good? If God isn't good, then he shouldn't get to determine what is good. The answer to that question is yes. Yes, God is good. Why? Because God says so. Jesus Christ, the manifestation of God on earth, he speaks to this issue. A rich young ruler approaches him once and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, Why do you call me good? No one is good except my Father in heaven. Which some people point out, See right there, Jesus just said he wasn't God. No, he didn't. He presented a problem for this rich young ruler. He says, since only God is good, I am either God or I am a man. So am I a teacher? Am I a man or am I God? You've seen me do good things. You've seen good in me. You know that I am good. So what should that tell you? Jesus says that God is good. Thus, God says he's good. Thus, God is good. Not, not just because he says so, it is because he says so, but he also proves this by his nature. He proves this in the reality of a judgment. If God wasn't good, there would be no accounting for our sins. Good judges don't let guilty murderers go free. And so he doesn't let us go free. 
We are guilty and we deserve to be destroyed. However, God established forgiveness through his son Jesus because he offered, he is the offended party, he offered himself up, but because he is the offended party, he can choose not to press charges. If his blood covers the mantle of your heart, coming judgment will pass you over. God suffered and died in our place and raised from the dead so that we could live. That is proof that he is good. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. Judgment's coming. There will be a reckoning. A time when we must give an account for our sins. And because God is good, he has given grace to those who surrender to him as Lord. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God is good. And God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Which is why we should be extremely thankful that he is good. He gives us instruction on how to be saved, just how he gave those whom he destroyed with the flood and an angel of death and an army. He gave them instructions and they rejected it. God gives us instructions. God gives us an opportunity to come to him and be saved. But maybe you're not convinced. Maybe you think that all sounds really good, or maybe that's circular logic. And you know, God, God's good because He says so. But I don't trust Him. I don't trust Him. I don't trust Him. Then maybe what you need to do is just listen to Psalm 34:8 that says, "Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him." Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.